Hi, this is Yvette Francino, and we are in a new year and starting a new season for Carpe Diem Connections. This season, we'll be talking about action for happiness and 10 keys to happier living. Let's get going. Hello, this is Yvette Francino again, and we are in the seventh episode of season three, the 10 keys of happiness. And this week we're talking about resilience. And this is a very, it's kind of an emotional topic for me because this is the trait that I admired so much in my friend, Craig Dunham, who had ALS. And it's really sort of the, the insider, the beginning of why I started having all my carpe diem events. And that mantra was because I admired so much the resilience that my friend Craig Dunham had in, in despite a diagnosis of ALS. And after he died, I became active in the ALS uh, community and as far as doing walks and things. And from that, I met another man that had ALS that also demonstrated amazing resilience, Steph Corden. Um, and he, his son-in-law is here to, with us today. And so I'm going to pass son-in-law's Nick Friedman. I'm very honored that he is with me. I have, we connected over social media. And so I've, and, you know, we've just known each other through Steph. Um, so I'm going to pass the microphone over to him and let him tell you more about himself and Steph and ALS Never Surrender, something that, that Steph started. So go for it, Nick. Thanks. I uh, really appreciate you guys having me and I'm honored to be here and talk about this topic because it is so uh, near and dear to my heart as well. And, you know, people think about what's what's needed to live every day and you need motivation, right? You need determination. You need drive. You need a, a purpose, right? Um, but resilience isn't one of the things people talk about too much. So, and, and, you know, as, as we've talked before, I don't think historically, even when interviewing for jobs or when you start dating someone or you're looking for friends, resiliency isn't like, but do they have resiliency, right? It's it's not something I think we normally think about. And it does take a unique person or circumstance to really bring that out. Um, I do think it's something that is is a driver in in civilization, in the American story, for sure. When you think about the founding of our country, the expanding West, you know, people had grit, you know, and that, that's what it was called then. You, you needed it. Um, but as life got easier and more conducive to, to having the tools we need readily available, you need water, turn it on. You need heat, push a button. And these days you can, you can ask your Alexa to just turn it on for you. You know, you don't really need to be resilient because Life provides all of this at the touch of our fingertips. And it, again, when, when you come across the right person who doesn't have an option to then anything other than to be resilient and to show their grit, it is eye-opening. So I met Steph probably, you know, right after he got diagnosed with the LS. And Steph was uh, from Canada and he, he moved to Silicon Valley in San Francisco in the 90s um, to work with IBM. And he was in the forefront of data analytics. 
and um, specifically, you know, software for for businesses to to expand and and automate and to streamline a lot of their processes. So he he was tip of the spear from going from manual processes to automation to using tools like data analytics and business intelligence tools to to streamline these things and to give you all the information you need at the touch of your fingertips. He moved out to San Francisco, met his wife. He used to say it was the true American dream because he moved out to California, married a California girl. And then, you know, they he worked for several companies out in the Bay Area and then ended up uh, moving to Colorado where he raised a family. So he was always uh, snowboarding, mountain biking, hiking, traveling the world. Um, and on his personal time, he's a photographer. And the story, as he told me, is one day he was filming a, a, wedding, a friend's wedding and his hand started shaking with the camera ever so slightly. And so he told his wife, we got to go, go get this checked out. Well, he goes to his, to his doctor. And for, for those of you who don't know about motor neuron diseases, there are several. And most of them you can test for, except ALS is, is not like that. It is more process of elimination. So if you don't have, you know, six of the seven motor neuron diseases that people are well aware of and could test for, then they diagnose you with ALS. And Steph asked uh, his, his physician, you know, well, how much time do I have? He said, well, only time will tell. He's like, well, what does progression look like? He's like, well, every patient's different. And he's like, okay, well, how do I measure progression? Is there treatment? What can I do? His doctor said, well, you can visit us once every quarter, you know, every 12 weeks, and we're going to, we'll assess your condition, and we're going to have you answer 12 questions, 12 question survey. So going back to Steph's beginning of uh, being a data analytics and, and uh, data intelligence, he said, this, this is ridiculous. You know, we're, we're putting, you know, satellites in space to give us Wi-Fi. We all have um, more power in our mobile phones in our pockets that the astronauts used to land on the moon. Right, and we're still using this 12 question survey. And it was it was 2013 we got diagnosed. Now, when you get diagnosed with ALS, I imagine it's a very interesting experience because 80% of people die within within you know two to five years. And if you make it, I think it's 90% die within six years. And then you have that five or 10% that are just outliers. You know, Stephen Hawking lived with the disease for 55 years. So Steph was a person that wanted data. He wanted the information at the tip of his fingers and it wasn't available. And it immediately put him in this world that we all live in with having access to everything we need to lack of access to any data at all about his condition. So it immediately kicked in resilience in him. And he said, well, I'm going to fix this problem. And he wanted to create a mobile app that would collect 80 points of data from every patient every day by taking a series of tests on your mobile phone at home. It was an ambitious endeavor and he had a lot of pushback. Most people in many industries, but in particular the clinical trial space have this mentality of, but we've always done it this way and it's worked, you know? So I tell people all the time, had it been me, I would have sold everything and went on vacation, right? I don't know if I would have been as resilient as that. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I, very few people could match his, his level of resiliency. He was different. He said, I'm going to get to work and solve this problem, right? So he got to work. He engaged several universities, their, um, their doctoral candidates on mobile applications, data intelligence, things of that nature, had them start working on 
ways to build this mobile app. He worked with the people he worked with in Silicon Valley originally. So people at Claris, people at FileMaker, Apple, Facebook, IBM, and started bringing people together. And I say that loosely, bringing people together. Steph had a way of telling you you were going to help him in the kindest way possible. And myself, he sat down with me one day. He's like, Nick, you know, I don't have much time left. Uh, I want you to be more involved in the foundation. What do you want to do? I was like, well, what do you need? You don't have a chief operating officer. I can help with that. He's like, no, I got I got someone else in mind for you. I'm like, okay, well, do you need a chief marketing officer? He's like, no, I got someone else in mind for you. I go through a list of like four or five things and he kept saying no. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, I want you to be our CEO. You know, you're CEO of a, of a cybersecurity consulting firm, which is my background. And I want you to take this over. And I immediately asked, is there anything else that I could do with the firm other than that? He's like, no, that, that's what I need you to do. And I was like, well, let me think about it. And he said, well, one time you told me you would do anything that I needed if I asked you for help. And I said, yeah, yeah, Steph, I said that. And he's like, well, this is what I'm asking for you to do. So, so two and a half years later, right, here I am running, running the ALS Never Surrender Foundation with a group of volunteers that Steph did the same thing to, right? He roped us all in, in a beautiful way that taught us all resiliency right? Gave us, it brought out the grit that we had inside all of us. Um, even since he's passed for about a year and a half now, we're still here. And we actually just finished the version three, latest version of the application. We're rolling out clinical trials at several universities this year and into next, and um, really hope to make a difference. We have grown from 80 data points per patient per test to uh, over a million data points per yeah. patient per test. And we currently have version four on the roadmap to increase that to 5 million data points per patient per test. So um, we're integrating pulse oximeters, we're integrating um, home spirometers, you know, to track, you know, your lung health, your heart health, your blood health, perfusion through the blood, blood oxygenation. Um, we collect range of motion tests for your arms and legs, dexterity tests for your fingers on both hands and your feet on both feet, and cognitive and speech tests that we have people repeat certain sentences that we change up and, or you know, have them look at a picture and describe what they're seeing. And we run that through several of our partners that have algorithms to assess um, efficacy of, uh, of the, the ability to take these tests. Currently, our model shows that we should be able to take a standard two-year trial and shorten that to six months and improve still 100 times fold the amount of data that they would have gotten in two years in six months. The reason that's important goes back to the beginning of the story that 80% of ALS patients have two to five years to live. So a two-year trial uh, is a lifetime for some people. And uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at now. Um, you know, that, that's a little bit of a story about Steph. You know, if, if I had to go back, um, you know, right before, in the, in the few months before he passed, I sat down with him one day and asked him, so what's a day to you, Steph? You know, what's a week? Uh, what's a month, right? Um, he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, how about this? I know like we were sitting outside looking at the sunset and I'm like, look at that beautiful sunset. This is a beautiful sunset for me, right? Um, but it's one sunset. Is it the same to you? And he smiled. He said, it's like a thousand. It's like a thousand, every day is like a thousand days. Every time I uh, hug my wife, it's like a thousand hugs with my wife. And that grit, that, resiliency he showed and appreciation for the little things in life is something I think, you know, we all, we all pass by, not intentionally, 
but just kind of a product of our ever-increasing environment of being bombarded with data and to-do lists and action items. I'd come back to, to visit him many times, and whenever we'd stop in the house, I could have been cut off by someone driving there or uh, had a very busy day with work. I remember one day I had a very, very bad day, and we all have very, very bad days. I walked in. I'm like, hey, Steph, how's it going? And he's there, couldn't move his arms, his legs, his body, barely move his head. He's like, I'm great, Nick. How are you? It's a beautiful day. Well, I guess I'm I'm fantastic, right? I mean, there's like how how do you how do you compare a very bad, horrible day that a, an average person would have versus the best day an ALS patient will have? It just kind of puts things in perspective. And we're still here pushing forward. You know, our goal is to increase data for ALS clinical trials, to shorten clinical trials, to be able to bring treatments to market uh, faster. In fact. We have been selected uh, for a 200-patient clinical trial that I can't share too much on right now, but it is the first ever ALS treatment that's non-invasive to show stoppage of symptoms or cessation of symptoms in ALS patients that are far down the path and reversal of symptoms for early onset patients. And um, that's the dream, right? That is amazing. What will, do you think that, that the data collection, will that, can that be adapted to other kinds of diseases or is it purely for ALS? I mean, it seems like a lot of those kinds of symptoms would be relevant of gathering that data for, for other um, diseases as well. Do you, is there talk about that to use this data gathering technique for beyond ALS? Definitely. Where we're at right now, as I briefly mentioned, we finished version three. Right, version one was steps version, 80 data points per patient. Um, version two had uh, two integrations, and we were up to about about 200,000 data points per patient. And uh, the, le- the latest release has four integrations with external devices and partners. That is a million data points. Version four is modular in nature. So we have the app Steph built as the aggregator, right? The, the hub in a hub and spoke model, if you will. And a lot of the neurologists and physical therapists that we're working with at universities and ALS clinics all over the country are saying, hey, I could use this for other motor neuron diseases. I could use this for Parkinson's. I could use this for um, Alzheimer's, right? I could use it for a lot of different things. But if I do, I only need these four or five tests and not these three or four that you have. So we're building this. So Steph's application is the foundation mm-hmm. and we can plug and play various third-party devices or integrations based on the tests that uh, provide the relevant data for the disease that we're, we're focused on. So we are currently um, working on uh, that version and that'll be next and we'll be rolling those out for, for additional motor neuron disease trials. Interestingly enough, we are able to use a lot of these things to track symptoms that uh, coronavirus patients are experiencing, right? Lack of breath, lower heart rate, uh, lower blood perfusion, lower blood oxygenation are all things that are symptomatic of COVID. And even post-COVID, we're seeing a lot of patients that have recovered that still have this mental fog that they don't know they don't know what's causing it. Currently, they're looking into it. The scientific community is, and with our with our integrations with a company called Oral Analytics that does the cognitive processing, speech, and voice recognition and using their algorithm that was created by speech pathologists and AI specialists, we're able to detect those minute changes of someone's ability. And one of the beautiful things about this that's completely a uh, side benefit 
is we can have ALS patients' families participate, right? Brothers, sisters, parents, children, to show what the benchmark is of a healthy person. So a lot of times ALS patients feel helpless, right? Um, so do their families. So did we. But being able to collect these things, we're hoping to put the power in the patient's hands and their family's hands to being able to contribute their data to fight against these diseases. Yeah, and that makes such a difference to kind of take some control and feel like something you are doing, you know, you, you there is progress. And, it, you know, this is one of those things that to me, again, is just so, it's hard to even talk about because I have so much admiration that if staff can do this with so many limitations and so many challenges, it kind of says those of us that are not struggling with those things, think about, you know, we need to take action too, you know, on the things we're passionate about. I think, as you said, we, we kind of have gotten into a, a time maybe not with the coronavirus, but certainly as we've had all these innovations, we kind of take so much for granted that we have available to us. And when you see someone that is losing function and has a limited lifetime to make such incredible progress, it does help you recognize that it's really kind of almost a responsibility for the rest of us to to not just sit back and be lazy or, or, or be victims. I mean, that was another thing for me of recognizing with Craig, with Steph as well, but that they were, there was no victim mentality there. You know, it was like, okay, I have this disease. And with the time I have left, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to use what functions I do have for the rest of my life. Whereas the rest of us, I mean, again, just, it could be the most minor thing and we can go into poor me mode. And so I know since my time with Craig and Steph, I just put things in perspective and be like, wow, compared to what they went through, I have so many things to be grateful for. And any little kind of thing that happens, it's, it's, you, you do just kind of compare to what they went through and how they did not fall into victim mentality. And Steph created this amazing app that might be, you know, it sounds like already is the beginnings of the cure, a cure, at least to understanding of this horrific disease. So, so that cures can be put in place or treatments and how incredible. I, I just, again, have so much admiration for that. And, and I also, you know, want to say, I know it's changed me is seeing witnessing that kind of resilience changes me. Um, how, how about you? Have you, do you feel changed? It sounds like you, you do as well. You know, I definitely, right. In, in interesting ways, um, my mother is very much like Steph. It could be the end of the world. And she'd be like, what a beautiful day, you know, I've uh, just had that that attitude and her and Steph are very much alike. And, and my mother's terminal for the fourth time, she's beat and completely beat three terminal diseases um, outside of known medicine. And every time she was like, okay, I'm going to get through this. Uh, life got me into this. Life will get me out of this and, uh, and I'll be better off from it. Steph had that vision. You know, Steph said, uh, people who have ALS, we call them pals, right? People with ALS. And most pals I've heard say ALS stands for always losing something. I've taken it to always learning something. Steph's approach was 
that it stood for another life saved. Mm -hmm. He said, and I quote, it saved my wretched soul, end quote. And not that he had a wretched soul at all, but I think what he was trying to communicate was that we all are, we all act as if we're going to live forever, put off to tomorrow, the next day, the next day, um, wait, wait to retire before I go live my life. And he didn't live that way. Right. And I think in the beginning he was running, going, going, going energizer bunny style, but it helped him take a minute to appreciate those thousand and one sunsets to appreciate every day. And it helps with that. Right. I think it definitely helps understanding like when you have a, a rough day, how many things do you have going good for you? Right. When you have ALS, it's what's good today. And you focus on that. You can't focus on what's bad today because you, you'd be stuck in that mentality forever. So you know, I have always had a, a similar approach to life. Uh, live in the moment. Appreciate what you have. Uh, focus on the good things and not the bad things. The this too shall pass mentality when, when we come to negative things. But it's definitely put that into overdrive. For me, for everyone he met, you know, I, uh, I often use the phrase that he was um, a wife to one, or sorry, a husband to one, husband to one, a son to two, a father to three, and a friend to millions. Mm -hmm. Because when he put together his video, a three-minute video on YouTube about what he was doing, it had over two million views in a week or two, right? And we were getting people reaching out to us, like, how can I donate? How can I help? What an amazing story. You know, he ended that story with, it may not, this application may not be here soon enough to save me. And he used the phrase, but I think it can save the world. And I think that's an interesting concept because to people with ALS, this disease is the world of them, right? And if we could save them from it um, or save their family from it, right, et cetera, it's, uh, it can save people's worlds. And, you know, there's, a, there's an old saying out there that goes, you know, the society of the world will be a better place when old men plant trees that they will never enjoy the shade of or something to that effect. And Steph was the, uh, the epitome of that, right? I'm going to spend the time I have building something that's going to save other people. And like I said, I, I, I may have taken vacation. I mean, I'm, I'm not joking. Like, uh, who wouldn't, right? We'll try to enjoy the rest of the time we have. And I often ask myself, would I get to work like him? And I don't think many people would. Uh, I'm not judging at all. But it definitely puts things in perspective as to when I have an issue in front of me and there's, there's a challenge that need to be resolved, just take it on full, full force, right? Um, I'd say in the beginning, when we talked to the neurologists, they said, no, it's fine. We'll just see people in, in the office and we'll just take our 12 question survey. And it wasn't until actually COVID hit where everyone started reaching out to us after the past five years since we founded the, the foundation to try to spread this message of data solving problems and saving lives that, you know, January, 2020, every single person we'd reached out to in the clinical trial space said, we can't see patients. They can't come in the office. They're immunocompromised. What do we do? Is your app ready? Can we use it? Right. Life has a, an interesting way of working out that way. Yeah. And I often, I often think that, you know, Steph was right at the right time for him, for all of us, right. For the entire ALS community. Had he not been, we wouldn't be as far as we are today. And uh, it's making a difference. And so that's really where I thought it was a beautiful thing that he named our foundation, the ALS Never Surrender Foundation. And anyone in business will tell you, you have the days where you're like, 
are we ever going to get this done? Are we ever going to get it adopted? Are we ever going to make an impact and never surrender, right? He was a visionary in, in the small things that made a big difference in life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we wrap up, Nick, do you want to tell our audience how they can help or find you or get involved? Is there, I, I certainly can put it in the show notes and blog, but any parting words you want to give to the audience, listeners, before we sign off here? Definitely. You know, um, we're ALSNeverSurrender.org. Uh, we are a full volunteer organization. We have 33 members, all volunteer, from neurologists to cybersecurity to data analytics to artificial intelligence to physical therapists and just product managers and even Steph's family himself. Um, his three kids are very active in the foundation. So if you are interested in volunteering, there's uh, always room for support on the team. Right, everything from marketing to fundraising to IT support to server support, uh, cloud computing, any anything at all that someone has any skill set with, we're we're always open to that. First and foremost, secondly, it's really just I would say the best way to honor people like Steph and everyone out there like him is to don't take for granted the little things. Right, appreciate every day. You know, I know it sounds like a cliche, but I'll tell you what: when you're given a terminal diagnosis. It's not a cliche, right? It is a life goal. It is a mission. It is a purpose-driven fulfillment. Don't wait till then, right? On an individual level, outside of volunteering, outside of everything else, if everyone lived the way um, Steph lived, the world would be a better place. So you can also Google FileMaker uh, space ALS um, and push videos and see Steph's three-minute video right there. It's very impactful, and um, I'd encourage everyone to watch it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Listeners, we want to hear from you. So perhaps the easiest way is to find Carpe Diem Connections on Facebook in the Facebook group. Just search for Carpe Diem Connections and come join the discussion. You can also find me at carpediumday.com or email me directly at yvette.francino at gmail.com. See you next week on Carpe Diem Connections. <music>